0: Welcome to Focus on the Light, a weekly Come Follow Me podcast, or if you've been listening before, welcome back. Let's get talking about this week's Come Follow Me section, all about Moses chapter 7. So Moses chapter 7 continues right off where we left in Moses chapter 6. That was the majority of what we talked about last week, and Enoch, and the richer history we got in Moses chapter 6, and all that Enoch did, and the great missionary work, and prophesying that he did among the people. So chapter 7 starts off right where we left off, Enoch continuing his prophesying to the people. In this teaching and prophesying to these people, he explains to them that he had a vision from God where he saw future generations. Similar to the Nephi seeing the Nephites, Enoch saw his descendants. But sadly, he doesn't see very good things. The people are really wicked, the land is cursed, the people are cursed. So Enoch... After seeing this and after the command of the Lord goes about teaching and preaching repentance to these people, trying to baptize them. And and in fact, Enoch's words are so powerful that the wicked end up being afraid of the people of God. And so you get this weird kind of contrast that while Enoch is teaching these people begging for repentance, they have this weird fear of the people of God because of the power of Enoch's words. Definitely not Enoch's fault or Enoch's intention. It's just interesting how sometimes it does appear that way. Enoch is very persistent and very diligent in teaching the word of God. But despite his efforts in verse 16, we don't get some good news. So verse 16 says, and from that time forth, there were wars and bloodshed among them. So in this separation we get between the people and the great wickednesses on earth, wickedness and bloodshed and wars continue on earth. But we also get to learn something really, really important that I think applies to us a lot. Continuing with the second half of verse six. But the Lord came and dwelt with his people, and they dwelt in righteousness. Even in a world of great wickedness, even in a world of great wars, the Lord was still able to be among his people. His people who dwelt in righteousness were able to have the presence of God in their life. It wasn't restricted to a world being perfect. There's a line from a movie that I really like, you thought we could be decent men at an indecent time. That seems to sometimes be the perspective that We can't be good because the world around us isn't good. And the world has to be good for us to be good when it's definitely the other way around. The phrase in the world, but not of the world. These people who were in such a wicked world that we'll talk about a little bit more were so righteous that they had the glory of God upon them. Continuing to verse 17, it says, so great was the glory of the Lord, which was upon the people. And the Lord blessed the land and they were blessed upon the mountains and upon the high places and did flourish. Their blessings, their flourishment was not restricted to the world around them, but just because of their choices. And then we get the wonderful verse 18. And the Lord called his people Zion because they were of one heart and one mind and dwelt in righteousness and there was no poor among them. This was a scripture mastery verse I remember. And this is really the key is Zion. This is what we're working towards. This is what we talk about. We talk about the second coming of the Lord and the eventual city of Zion and trying to build Zion. Utah often referred to as Zion. We have Zion's national park. So what does this mean? Well, we know the story of Enoch and the city of Enoch and what happens and how at the end of the chapter, they're translated a very, very righteous people for an entire city among a very wicked world to be taken up into the bosom of God. But way before that, it started with something simple. It started with them being of one heart and one mind and dwelling in righteousness. So if our goal is to build Zion, if this is the key to have Zion now, how do we do that? Right? If, if this wicked world is just like ours with wars and bloodshed and contention, well, how do we build that Zion? How do we have our city, so to speak, be blessed like Zion? And there's a lot of things throughout this chapter that will be revealed about these people. But I think the very, very next verse says something important. The start of verse 19. And Enoch continued his preaching in righteousness unto the people of God. These people, even being of one heart and one mind, were with not without need for guidance from a prophet. They still needed and still relied on counsel from a prophet of God. The expression, all is well in Zion. I think that that's a mentality that we can often get, particularly when striving to follow the prophet. I can't remember if it was President Nelson or President Monson, who at one point, I think it was President Monson, who at one point encouraged us to read the Book of Mormon again, to read it, uh, finish it by the end of the year. And I was already reading the Book of Mormon. I had already read the Book of Mormon. And because of that, I didn't feel a lot of urgency in doing it again. Oh, yeah, I've I've followed the prophet's counsel. I've checked that off the list. I've read the Book of Mormon. And then the very next general conference, all of the apostles, all the general authorities talked about how they had taken a renewed approach to study the Book of Mormon. Now, I can guarantee that the prophets of God have studied and read the Book of Mormon. But yet again, they were humble enough to continue to follow the counsel of God. And I think that that's an important thing that as we continue through the chapter and talk about all the things that make up the city of Zion and how we can do that, one of the first things described is that these people were humble enough to continue to rely on the counsel of God through prophet. So I guess while we're at it, let's talk about those other things that make up Zion. What makes up this city, this elect city of Zion? There was this great activity that the Come Follow Me uh, manual mentioned where going through specific verses that it mentioned, what do we learn about Zion and what does this suggest about our efforts to build Zion now? And as I read through their suggested verses, these were kind of the ones that stood out to me. Starting in verse 16, Zion was on earth even when wickedness was, like we talked about earlier. The Lord was among his people because they were righteous. What does that suggest about our efforts today is that Zion is, in fact, obtainable, that we don't have to wait for the world to get better. We just need to get better. In verse 18, the people of Zion were of one heart. We have to have the same unification as a church, as a people, but I also think that it starts within our families. What does it mean to be of one heart? In the Doctrine and Covenants, when the Lord is counseling the 12 apostles in the first presidency, how to seek revelation, one of the phrases that is used is, um, I think it's one mind as to touching one thing. I forget the exact phrase, but I think it's touching one thing. And I think that there's a, a, that's a wonderful idea of unification in the the council of the 12 plus the first presidency. That's 15, 15 individuals touching one thing, focused and unified towards one. Purpose. There's this necessary unification having our hearts together as one. One heart meaning one desire, one love. That's very a very great place to start. Also in verse 18, there is no poor among Zion. We need to look out in our in our one heart that we have, we need to look out for others to help them where they need. In verse 21, as part of Enoch's visions, he later sees, years later, when Enoch is when the city of Zion is taken up. But before that, there was the amount of time that had to go from that. Building such a holy city, such a holy state, uh, takes time. It's not an immediate thing. Verse 27, the Holy Ghost fell upon many. The presence of the Holy Ghost was among the people. They followed and valued revelation and guidance from God. Be that from a prophet like I talked about earlier, or just from the Holy Ghost. And then in verse 53, Jesus is the king of Zion let's read verse 53. And the Lord said, blessed is he through whose seed Messiah shall come for he saith, I am Messiah, the King of Zion, the rock of heaven, which is broad as eternity. Whoso cometh in at the gate and climbeth upon by me shall never fall. Wherefore, blessed are they of whom I've spoken, for they shall come forth with songs of everlasting joy. Particularly that phrase, whoso cometh in at the gate and climbeth up by me shall never fall. The way to this city, the way to the heaven, to the presence of God is always through the Savior. He's the gatekeeper. It is through him. I think a wonderful place to start in achieving one heart is that one thing that we are touching together is the Savior. The Savior as our king, as our, as our focus. So whether we're following the Holy Ghost or following a prophet or having no poor among us, it all comes out of a desire to follow the Savior and to follow his gospel all of those things aligned into one. So kind of some starting points, how we might have Zion here on earth. The come follow me manual also said something that I really, really love. It says throughout history, people have tried to achieve what Enoch and his people accomplished, building an ideal society where there is no poverty or violence. And I think that's something we can all agree would be wonderful. As God's people, we share this desire. We call it building Zion. And it includes, in addition to caring for the poor and promoting peace, making covenants, dwelling together in righteousness, and becoming one with each other and with Jesus Christ, the King of Zion. Because the work of establishing Zion continues in our day, it's helpful to ask how did Enoch and his people do it? How did they become of one heart and one mind despite the wickedness around them? Among the many details Moses 7 gives about Zion, a particularly valuable one for Latter day Saints might be this Zion is not just a city. It is a condition of the heart and spirit. Zion, as the Lord has taught, is the pure in heart. So perhaps the best way to build Zion is to start in our own hearts and homes. This idea of Zion, I think, is a is a really really wonderful idea, and I want to talk about this very carefully and respectfully for a minute. There's a lot of things that have been very topical politically especially here in the United States, about equality, about equal rights, about equal opportunity, about the better distribution and and a better distribution of wealth and resources and opportunity and so on and so forth. And it seems to me, in my perspective, that the common conversation piece behind this is that the system the U.S. system, be that the economic or political or justice system, whichever one you want to pick, that this system that our world and our society is built on is at fault. That is flawed, that there has been oppression in it, that there has been challenges that we should remove. And that this inequality is the fault of the system, whatever system you want to put in there. And that the responsibility of changing that and of improving society for everyone is the responsibility of the system that the system's broke but if we fix the system then we'll we'll have peace and whether that's true or not i'm not here to discuss whether the system is at fault necessarily isn't the point of this conversation what is the point of this conversation is a second half of that the responsibility is not some system that's out there in the ether whatever that is how do you change the system how do how do i Change the system if if this is something that I care about, having no poverty, having no violence, having a people that treat each other as one and have peace, and the way to that is some system that needs changing how do i how do I do that Where's this system that I can go punch into and and do differently than it's been been done before? And these questions are are kind of rhetorical because yes, there are little systems that are built this way, but But more importantly, what makes the difference is me, whatever part I play in this organization or system, what is going to make the difference is my actions, what I choose to do with my opportunity and my resources, including me. I am a resource. I think that a lot of times when I read about statements, there were no poor among them. I think about financial means. I think about giving of my money, which I unselfishly I cherish. I mean I work I work hard for this and I'm I'm trying to save my money to to have a family. How am I supposed to give up what I already feel I don't have? You know, and, and there's that's an entirely different gospel lesson. But I think that it's also important to remember that there are other ways and there are other forms of poverty that I can make a difference in. There's different forms of unification that I can have. So kind of got off on a tangent here, but it's, it's just something that when I these things come up to me, whether it's studying the scriptures and about the city of Zion or just hearing these political discussions that are happening, I always feel that we need to have a renewed emphasis on our responsibility And not to make us feel like, oh my gosh, we're so responsible, but to make us feel like we can actually do something. The change is possible through our actions. Responsibility isn't a negative thing. Responsibility is an opportunity. Because we are responsible, that means we are, there's an opportunity for it, we're capable for it. And I think that that is an important reminder. Let me read that last line. Perhaps the best way to build Zion is to start in our own hearts and homes. And I think a great way to start with that is having. Jesus be our king in our home and in our heart. It's a great place to start. So the topic of Zion, very, very important. But there's some other things that happen in this chapter here that I want to talk about because Zion isn't the only thing. If we continue with Enoch here in Moses 7, he continues his vision. So he's prophesying unto these people and he continues his vision and he sees the city of Enoch raised up into the bosom of God and he sees the wickedness of the world return. And then verse 26, and he beheld Satan, and he had a great chain in his hand, and it veiled the whole face of the earth with darkness. And he looked up and laughed, and his angels rejoiced. What a terrifying image to think of Satan with a chain and darkness over us, laughing and rejoicing. I think that he's probably doing that a lot right now. And you compare that a few verses down in verse 28. And it came to pass that the God of heaven looked upon the residue of the people and he wept. This God is our father in heaven. He is very personally invested in what is happening on earth. And I love Enoch's response to this. As it says, the Lord wept, it says, Enoch bore record of it, saying that, How is it that the heavens weak and shed forth their tears as the rain upon the mountains? And in verses 29 and 30, How is it that thou canst weep, seeing thou art holy, and from all eternity to all eternity? And were it possible that man could number the particles of the earth, yea, millions of earths like this, it would not be a beginning to the number of thy creations. And thy curtains are stretched out still, and yet thou art there, and thy bosom is there. And also thou art just, and thou art merciful, and kind forever. I love that verse. In essence, saying How is it that you weep? You are all-powerful. Your creations are innumerable. If man could could count the sands of the sea, it would not even begin to number thy creations. And yet your heart is here with us. And, And yet thou art here with us. And thou art just, which is important. And thou art merciful and kind forever. How powerful to think about that, that the the all-powerful God with numerous creations weeps over us and is kind towards us. The word kind means something extra to me today. A few days ago, I have a different podcast that I do that's about movies, and so I don't talk about it very much. But there was one particular movie that I saw with my wife that was really moving to me. And in every podcast I do over there, I, I like to talk about the messages or meanings. And this particular one used the word kind and about this girl named Suzu who was kind and how her kindness made significant differences in other people's lives. And what her kindness came across as was seeing past the layers of people that everyone else in the world was labeling them as and being a little bit harsh towards. And she saw the hurt underneath or she saw the child underneath or she saw the heartache underneath and sought after them and, and labored after them to find them and to love them. That was her kindness. And, and it's given me a new definition of the word kind. And to think that the Lord is kind to me, that in my layers, in my makeup, that the world looks at and has judgments about good or bad, the Lord is able to kindly see past that to what's underneath and to seek out that person underneath and to love them It just means a lot to me the expression of venus in essence how can thou weep with all this greatness thou art so great and yet how canst thou weep and that's what it says in verse 31 how is it thou canst weep and i love the lord's response in verse 32 and the lord said unto Enoch, behold these thy brethren They are the workmanship of mine own hands. They're mine. And I gave unto them their knowledge in the day I created them. And in the garden of Eden gave unto them his agency. And unto thy brethren have I said and also given commandment that they should love one another. And they should choose me their father. I think it's interesting the order in which those things are phrased. He's given us, he gave his agency, the ability to choose. And then he gave his commandment to love one another and then choose him as our father. I think choose him as our father means obeying the gospel and the commandments. I think that's kind of obvious, but first was to love one another. I think the Lord weeps when we don't follow his commandments, when we don't follow his gospel, the gospel of Christ. But I think he weeps an extra amount when we're hurtful and rude to one another, when kindness is something that we don't offer to others. The first commandment listed in this scripture is to love one another. And I think that that's important to remember. So we continue with Enoch's vision. He continues to see even more wickedness. The Lord talks about he's, how He has prepared a prison for these individuals that are so wicked. Verse 38 A prison have I prepared for them, but I love. Verse 39 And that which I have chosen hath pled before my face, wherefore He suffereth for their sins, insomuch as they will repent in the day that my chosen shall return unto me, and until that day shall they be in torment. So all the vision that Enoch was seen before was wickedness. And then Enoch was sent among them to teach repentance. And then despite that, they didn't listen. Enoch and the city of Zion was taken from the earth. The people became so wicked, a prison was prepared for them. And then yet again, the Lord says, if they will repent, so many chances he gives. You can see that love he has for us as his creation. He wants to extend the opportunity to repent as long as he can. It's like a, it's like a merciful teacher extending the deadline as much as is possible. The deadline has to come. The school year has to end and grades have to be given. But this teacher gives us up until the very last second. And that doesn't mean that we should use that. We should definitely be using our time to prepare. But I think that it's very merciful to extend that due date as long as is possible. So then we continue with Enoch's vision, right? So he sees the wickedness, like I keep saying, it's because he just, he's, we have these wonderful verses about the savior and about the ability to repent. And then the scripture goes back to wickedness that Enoch sees. And it really kind of a pattern that he sees wickedness. And then there's a great teaching about the nature of God or about the grace of Jesus Christ and then more wickedness. And so as he continues through wickedness, we get his declaration in verse 44, I will refuse to be comforted. And this wickedness is hurting him. And the Lord replies, lift up your heart and be glad and look. What is the reason that the Lord who just wept, who sees his children not loving one another, not obeying him, tells Enoch to rejoice? And it's in verse 47. And behold, Enoch saw the day of the coming of the son of man in the flesh and his soul rejoiced, saying the righteous is lifted up and the lamb is slain from the foundation of the world. And through faith, I am in the bosom of the father. And behold, Zion is with me. He rejoices because of Jesus Christ. And then everything that is after this, Enoch continually asks, when will the Messiah come among the children? When is he coming? When is he coming? When is he coming? He sees it. And that's all he wants to know is when is this joy, this redemption coming to the children of men? That's what he looks forward to. It's very, very powerful. And we talked about verse 53 it's through the Savior. Now I want to go back a little bit. As Enoch sees this vision, one of the things he sees is the flood of Noah. And he sees the flood perishing the wicked. And Noah and his, his children, who Noah is a descendant of Enoch. And he sees the earth groaning with the misery of this wickedness. In verse 50 it says, and it came to pass that Enoch continued his cry unto the Lord, saying, I ask thee, O Lord, in the name of thine only begotten, even Jesus Christ, that thou wilt have mercy upon Noah and his seed, that the earth might never more be covered by the floods. And the Lord could not withhold. And he covenanted with Enoch and swore unto him with an oath that he should stay the floods, that they would call upon the children of Noah. And he set forth an unalterable decree that a remnant of his seed should always be found among all nations while the earth should stand. Noah, later, years later, after Enoch's experience, Noah goes through the flood, and Noah and his family, eventually, the, the rains dried up, as the primary songs say, and they were able to come back to, onto the earth, out of the ark. And here we are, we, we don't live in a swimming pool. That gift of the earth drying up and being our home once again came because of Enoch requesting it. And I found that interesting. Now, I'm not here to to toil about what came first or what would have happened if Enoch would have prayed. But I just think it's important to look at the power that prayer pleading has with the Lord. As Enoch asked, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord could not withhold. How powerful is prayer? How powerful is prayer? So once again, after this, we get more wickedness. Enoch sees wickedness and he kind of sees the last days. He sees the days we're living in and the eventual second coming of Jesus Christ. Verse 60. And the Lord said unto Enoch, as I live, even so I'll come into the last days in the days of wickedness and vengeance to fulfill the oath, which I've made unto you concerning the children of Noah. And the day shall come that the earth shall rest. But before that day, the heavens shall be darkened and the veil of darkness shall cover the earth and the heavens shall shake and also the earth and great tribulation shall be among the children of men. Again, that reminds me of the conversation I mentioned I had with Zany a few episodes ago. These, this great destruction that's coming at the second coming is kind of scary. You read that, but remember this last sentence of that verse, but my people will I preserve. The Lord never teaches this destruction without having some type of promise about repentance or about his people being preserved. And then in the next verse, we get the lengths that the Lord goes to, to preserve his people and righteousness will I send down out of heaven and truth will I send forth out of the earth, like the scriptures, the book of Mormon to bear testimony of my only begotten his resurrection from the dead. yea, And also the resurrection of all men and righteousness and truth will I cause to sweep the earth as with a flood to gather out mine elect from the four quarters of the earth unto a place which I shall prepare a holy city, that my people may gird up their loins and be looking forth for the time of my coming, this work of spreading the gospel with a flood is so that the Lord's people can be preserved. The Lord is gathering you. You are being gathered. At no more, whatever point you are at, you are being gathered, to be in that holy city, to be preserved. So kind of two th- last thoughts as we close out this chapter here as we come in these last few verses and the first one comes from this verse we're already in verse 32 the expression gird up their loins so i looked this up i think it was last year yeah it was last year when we were studying the doctrine and covenants so your loins is your pants uh particularly at the time of in in the olden days in the way 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 back when when men would wear those long gowns that we see in the Bible videos and those types of things, their loins was this cloth that would hang kind of about your waist and down along your legs. It was this big, thick uh, cloth really heavy uh, and dragged to the ground. And so the expression gird up your loins meant that they would, when they would go to battle or when they would have to do work, they, there was this process. It's like, I had to look it up. There's like six steps girding up your loins where they would take these loins and they would tie them in a, in a particular fashion about their waist so that it wouldn't hang down and be in the way. But it was a process. It wasn't something that you could do quickly. So the expression, gird up your loins, means in essence, be prepared. If your enemy comes upon you and you have to gird up your loins in that moment to be able to fight, well, you're donezo. You, your enemy's upon you. You don't have a chance to go through all six steps of girding. You have already have to be girded. Uh, And I just think that's an important thing to, as the Lord describes his people in his holy city, he describes that they will gird up their loins, that they will be prepared for his coming. So what what can we do? Think about that this week. I want to do better extending challenges. Think about that this week. What can you do? What can I do to gird up our loins? And also the one from earlier, what can we do to start in our own heart to build Zion? And this is the last thing that I want to share. That's in line with that. Verse 66, again, after this great verse, we go back to more wickedness. But before that day, meaning the the great peace of the millennium. So before that, Enoch saw great tribulations among the wicked. And he also saw the sea that it was troubled and men's hearts failing them. That's an expression that just breaks my heart in the scriptures. Men's hearts failing them, particularly in contrast to the idea of having one heart in Zion. The necessity of having a working heart. How can we be of one heart if each individual heart is failing? What does it mean to have a failed heart? I think in my ideas, our heart, as the scriptures describe it, is what guides us, what directs us. Our heart is what we want most, what we seek after, what we love, what we desire. Is that desire, is that seeking after, is that heart failing us? Or is our heart focused on Jesus, the King of Zion, because it is only through him. He is the gatekeeper. The only way into that holy city is through the Savior and his gospel. So think about what can you do to build Zion in your own heart and in your own home? And how can you gird up your loins to look forward to the coming of the Savior? Because it's only through him that we will have that holy city. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, thank you again for listening to Focus on the Light. I never really know how to end these after bearing testimony. But thank you for listening. For those of you that have shared it, thank you for sharing it. If you would like to share Focus on the Light, listening to podcasts is really weird because everybody does it on different apps. And so there's a link. It's a link tree. Uh, that can, Someone can go and they can choose from their, their favorite podcasting app and they can find Focus on the Light there. So if you want to share the show, in the show notes, there's a simple link and you can share it with individuals. They can find Focus on the Light wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you again for listening and I will talk to you all next week.